Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith Freehill's new podcast series exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. My name is Aoife Zureb, a partner and commercial litigator in our Melbourne office, specialising in defending class actions and product liability litigation with a particular focus on the consumer sector. Talking Shop with us today, we have corporate partners Nanda Lau and Andrew Rich. Welcome to you both. Hi, everyone. Thanks very much, Eva. Nanda, you're based in Shanghai and head of corporate for HSF in China. And practice covers a wide range of corporate and commercial work, including cross-border M&A transactions, foreign direct investment, private equity, joint ventures and corporate restructurings. Andrew, your practice involves a broad range of public and private M&A transactions, corporate restructurings, securities and equity capital market transactions and general corporate advisory work. And Andrew has just taken on as our new co-lead of the consumer sector for HSF across the APAC region. Today, we are talking about the global M&A outlook for the consumer sector, a ubiquitous topic that appears on almost every page of the newspaper at the moment. HSF has just recently released our Global M&A Outlook Report. And as our listeners will know all too well, it is a tough environment for consumers out there, particularly with record-breaking inflation, adding to the cost of living and tightening the screws on household budgets. So perhaps let's start there. Andrew, can you tell us about the overall conditions and trends in the global M&A market for the consumer sector, particularly in the last couple of years. Thanks very much, Aoife. Yes, it is very interesting out there at the moment, to say the least. We're seeing an unprecedented number of once-in-a-generation macroeconomic factors that have all seemed to converge at the same time. Uh, and those factors are having a significant impact on global M&A markets. The factors are well known to us all, but we're seeing, obviously, the war in Ukraine, stubbornly high inflation, rising interest rates, soaring energy prices, labour shortages, ongoing supply chain issues, uh, increased scrutiny from regulators on the FDI front and merger control front, and also, just as importantly, uh, political uncertainty. And so against this background, it's, it's not remarkable, to me at least, that global M&A levels are down by around 20 to 30% from the lofty levels that we saw in 2021 and in the first half of 2022. Uh, Australia has not been spared from those global uh, macroeconomic factors, and we're seeing a similar level of downturn in M&A in Australia at the moment. Uh, but what we know from the global uh, pandemic uh, that we've recently all been through, M&A markets can cope with uncertainty. But the real question is how quickly um, we'll be able to bounce back and adapt to these macroeconomic challenges. Uh, we saw following the COVID pandemic, M&A markets quickly snap back. And I'm very confident that this will be the case again following the current economic challenges. Uh, M&A markets are far from closed at the moment. Uh, and let's not forget against this background that many investment funds, particularly private equity, are still sitting on a lot of cash, which ultimately does need to find a home. Uh, we're seeing signs of resilience and confidence returning to the market. And in Australia, for example, we're seeing a number of multi-billion dollar deals, the deals involving Newcrest, Suncorp, Origin, Pendle, they're all examples of that. 
And in the consumer space, we're also seeing some significant transactions. So L'Oreal's uh, $3.7 billion acquisition of ESOP Australia, the uh, luxury cosmetics brand is a very good example of that. Wes Farmer's bidding for Silk Laser Clinics, PPC, InvoCare, um, and Maltiri uh, Souffle's bid for United Malt Group. So a lot of activity in the consumer space and a lot of reason to be uh, optimistic on the global M&A front. Um, Nandra, I might hand over to you just to chat about what you're seeing in China and Asia more broadly at the moment. Sure, Andrew. Uh, compared to the global market last year, uh, Asia general M&A market in 2022 held up pretty well in terms of deal volume. Uh, but deal value was far softer. And more specifically, uh, in the consumer sector, deals were modestly sized in 2022, reflecting a slowing demand. And according to our uh, merger market, consumer M&A value in Asia fell 4% from uh, 55.7 billion US dollars in 2021 to 53.3 billion US dollars in 2022, even with volume rising uh, during that period of time. Um, and with respect to China, uh, due to China's strict zero COVID policy and lockdown measures last year, the China M&A market in the consumer sector cooled down quite a bit last year. And according to our PwC report, the disclosed deal number last year was down 14.7% compared to a year before. But interestingly, uh, the number of deals in 2022 was still higher than the number in 2020, which suggests that our investors still have certain confidence uh, in the China consumer market, despite the difficult situations uh, people facing in China last year. Um, however, uh, the disclosed deal value in 2022 dropped very significantly, down 61% uh, compared to 2021, mainly due to the lack of mega deals. Um, although we haven't seen uh, the statistics uh, for Q1 2023 yet, uh, but based on our own observations on the ground, there has been a pickup in deal activities in China. Uh, we have seen many of our consumer sector clients resuming their previously suspended M&A projects, as well as planning for new investment and acquisition opportunities. And on the more macro level, uh, the Chinese government is issuing various pro-growth policies focusing on consumption-driven growth and is encouraging household spending on consumer goods, which gives some needed boots to increase the investor and consumer confidence uh, in the post-pandemic China. And just to pick up on something that you've both touched on, um, in response to um, the previous question, but we're seeing obviously the pandemic suspending those typical economic cycles, different rates of recovery happening globally. And um, perhaps a question to you both, but how has the pandemic changed the consumer and retail landscape and how are you seeing that flowing through and affecting M&A deals in the consumer sector? Yes, very good question, Aoife. I mean, it's undeniable, isn't it? Consumer habits have changed forever. Pre-COVID, we were already seeing a bit of a shift towards, well, more than a bit, a, a trend towards online shopping away from traditional bricks and mortar shopping. But COVID created a, a, an exponential and permanent change to consumer habits. Um, whilst this caused distress to some, um, it also presented opportunities for M&A dealmaking. Um, in Australia, Anchorage's acquisition of Australia's iconic department store chain, David Jones is a perfect example of that. Um, the shift in consumer behaviours also contributed to the increased share of tech as a percentage of global M&A deals as um, retailers and um, 
consumer sector companies are looking for ways to improve their online offering. Um, however, the, the post-COVID macroeconomic challenges that I talked about earlier are now starting to have a real impact on M&A deals and the, the um, consumer confidence more generally as households tighten their belts. In Australia, for example, we've seen a sharp rise in company failures uh, and the consumer sector has certainly not been immune from that. We've seen uh, recent examples, CoLab, um, BWX, Tribe Brewing all falling into trouble. Uh, we've also seen challenges and failures in the logistics and the delivery chain aspects of the economy too in Australia. So uh, recently Scott's refrigerated logistics went into administration as too did Milk Run. And a couple of years ago, we saw Toll selling its global express business. That said, corporate failures do present excellent opportunities for cashed up purchases, particularly PE buyers and trade buyers with strong balance sheets. So whilst great consumer assets will always be hotly in demand, as we saw with L'Oreal's acquisition of ESOP, I am expecting a bunch of very good brands coming to the market uh, in, the, in the near term, either as a result of corporate administrations or corporate carve-outs, which we can come back to and talk about later. So I think M&A practitioners are going to be busy over the next 12 to 18 months. Nanda, what, what are you seeing in Asia and China on that front? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. We are seeing very uh, similar trends here. COVID, together with the other headwinds in 2022, are reshaping the new next normal for consumer sector companies in China and Asia more broadly. Uh, for example, um, we're seeing consumer sector companies um, trying to gain more control over their supply chains uh, to defend potential disruptions. And as a result, we're seeing that more consumer sector companies are considering uh, investing uh, investment or acquisition opportunities in their value chains. Um, consumer sector companies are also investing in and using new technologies to optimize their operations and lower their costs. Uh, for example, recently we have been seeing uh, a beverages company in China establishing its own AI development subsidiary to develop automated manufacturing solutions in China. And consumer sector companies are also actively pursuing corporate venturing opportunities. Um, such uh, corporate venture capital investments are usually welcomed by targets as these type of investors uh, can usually provide more sector knowledge, industry experience, uh, technology support and potential collaboration opportunities than the traditional PEVC firms can offer. Um, as Andrew mentioned, the pandemic has changed um, consumer um, habits. Uh, it's accelerated direct to consumer strategies of some of our consumer clients and boots the use of social commerce and other more innovative digital engagement models with consumers like live streaming. Um, these changes result in the market players in the China consumer sector uh, adopting more innovative deal structures to achieve their business goals. For example, in addition to traditional equity deals, they are seeing uh, we are seeing companies building alliances, are entering into joint ventures, creating uh, collaboration partnerships to gain a greater share of consumers' um, wallets and to embrace new business models and digitalization in the industry. And perhaps moving from some of those more macro factors to the more micro ones. So given those dynamic market forces, the supply chain difficulties, increased costs, are you seeing changes to deal terms in reaction to those new and dynamic market conditions? 
Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, with supply chain difficulties and increased costs at the forefront of counterparties' minds, uh, usually uh, unproblematic deal terms have been under the microscope recently. For example, our standard contractual qualifiers and conduct obligations, which rely on a mutually acceptable definition of the ordinary course of business, have been challenged given the exceptional market context. And there has been more focused on working capital adjustments uh, in consideration negotiations. And um, the definitions and examples of force majeure events, for example, whether which include COVID or other future pandemic situations in the definition can be subject to heated debate. And mature ever change type of exit clauses uh, have also been hotly negotiated. Uh, in the China context, uh, we are seeing that Chinese state-owned enterprises have been very active in the post-COVID M&A market in China as compared to uh, privately owned enterprises. Our SOE buyers are very risk averse and are keen to limit their liability exposures. Uh, they always take a tough stance when negotiating sellers liabilities limitation clauses and always want to seek more protection in terms of, for example, indemnities uh, to cover uh, their risk. Um, so these are the things that we are seeing in, in China and Asia. Andrew, do you, do you have any other observations? Yes, it's very interesting, Nanda, the, your, your comment there about um, SOEs looking for um, greater protection and deals. What we're also seeing on the, on the other hand um, is, is sellers looking for clean exits, um, increasingly not being willing to give wide ranging warranties going forward. So we're seeing quite a tension there. Uh, and um, as a result of that, we're seeing an increased number of deals now where you've got warranty and indemnity insurance to get both the buyers and the sellers what they want. The other interesting thing that I'm seeing on deal making at the moment, uh, which has changed over the last few years, um, we're seeing um, on the, the due diligence front, we're seeing buyers spending a lot more time trying to understand where the supply side risks are in any business. Um, previously, that was a little bit of an afterthought as availability of supply was always taken as a given. Uh, the other interesting area that I've seen um, start to emerge is buyers wanting increased access to a business between signing and completion. Previously, uh, buyers were largely um, happy just to let the sellers keep get on and run the business, particularly um, if there was a, um, a relatively short period between signing and completion. Uh, but now with the increased regulatory scrutiny uh, on the FDI and merger control front, we are seeing longer periods between signing and completion and buyers are, as a result of that, wanting to be in there and having a lot more access to the business on a day-to-day -day basis than we've seen previously. Now I've kept the most difficult question until last, um, but amidst all of those um, dynamic market conditions, those macro and micro factors, um, it's difficult to predict, but what do you view as the consumer sector M&A outlook for the remainder of this year and beyond? Yeah, let me share my views on the China outlook and I'll let, I'll let Andrew to share his observations. Um, despite all the challenges and headwinds uh, we are facing in China, such as slower economic growth, softer um, consumer demand and geopolitical tensions, we're still seeing some positive signs that will help drive deals in the consumer sector in China this year. For example, our valuations are now at a more reasonable level. Companies which uh, have been struggling during the past year amid COVID could be attractive targets if they are a good brand and have good uh, economic fundamentals. We're also expecting more market uh, consolidation uh, as a result of the recent disruptions. 
Uh, separately, uh, China has set a 5% GDP growth target this year, and many expect that uh, the main driver of China's economic activity this year will be the consumer sector. It is believed that the PRC government will roll out measures and stimulus plans to revive the economy and boost consumption in the next few quarters, and there has been indeed a significant consumption recovery uh, since the reversal of um, China's zero COVID policy end of last year, which are all good signs for uh, deal making. Um, so overall, we anticipate uh, that um, the financial advice uh, investors will continue to be uh, very active in the Chinese consumer market, um, um, M&A um, market uh, in 2023, followed by um, consumer goods company strategic M&A transactions. Our uh, foreign investors uh, will continue to be interested in this market because, after all, uh, China is the second largest economy in the world with great market potential and a growing consumption power of its middle class. Uh, but unfortunately, our uh, geopolitical tensions and headwinds will likely continue to impact deal making in China and Asia more broadly. But uh, we we are seeing that many deal participants have developed more resilience and accepted external challenges as part of the new normal are uh, in their deal making. Andrew, do you want to share your thoughts? Yeah, I might touch on a topic that we we briefly talked about a little earlier, but the what, what we're seeing, or what I'm certainly seeing is corporates are now taking quite a good long look at their portfolios and just asking themselves whether there's any repositioning or rebalancing that's necessary. So many FMCG companies are challenging themselves on this front. Um, they are, closely considering carving out companies, divisions, brands that are either no longer core to their business or that are underperforming. And we saw a recent example of that in Australia where Suntory uh, sold off its ANZ coffee business um, to UCCAMZ management. Um, those sort of transactions can take the form of just a private sale process potentially an auction process, uh, or if we're talking about listed companies, you might see a public spin-off or a demerger uh, of a company to its shareholders uh, or a breakout bid. We're seeing uh, increasingly break, a number of breakout bids appearing where you've got multiple bidders teaming up to acquire listed entities and then spl splitting up the, the assets amongst themselves. Uh, importantly, there's, there's no longer any stigma attached to seeking to divest an underperforming or non-core division. It's actually considered quite smart and can be um, very well received by investors. Um, the businesses that are identified for carve-outs can be of great interest to, to PE and, and um, trade buyers with, with strong balance sheets who are looking to actually do the reverse and expand their portfolios. And, and that's particularly the case where you're dealing with entities that carve out entities that have strong brands and stable cash flows. So I, I expect to see a lot more of that type of transaction over the coming 12 to 18 months. So I think M&A um, practitioners are going to be very busy. Well, thank you, Nanda and Andrew, for talking shop with us today and for kicking off our series. We're looking forward to sharing more consumer sector insights over the coming months. And just to close out this session with a fun fact, the popular saying, the customer is always right, was coined in the early 1900s by retail pioneers John Wanamaker and Harry Gordon Selfridge, the founder of the iconic London department store Selfridges. They advocated that customer complaints should be treated seriously so that customers do not feel cheated or deceived. 
It was a novel and influential attitude at the time when misrepresentation was rife and caveat emptor or let the buyer beware was a common maxim. There are variations to the saying all over the world, including the customer is never wrong, which was the slogan of hotelier Caesar Ritz. In Germany, the, the phrase is the customer is king, while in Japan, the motto is the customer is a god. All sage advice for those operating in the sector. As ever, thank you for your time and thank you for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.